Welcome to Bruegel. It is really a pleasure to see a full house today in person. Also, hello to those of you on the web. We are here today to talk about a new book, Principles of Sustainable Finance, written by Professor Dirk Schoenmacher, who is here and is going to tell you all about it. My name is Rebecca Christie. I am a visiting fellow here at Bruegel. I have been since last month. This is my first public event since joining Bruegel. Some of you may know me from my previous life in Brussels at Bloomberg News. I'm delighted to be at Bruegel now, working with a great bunch of colleagues and a bunch of interesting topics. Dirk will tell us all about his new book, and then we are very privileged to have Mario Nava from the European Commission to talk also about the book a little bit and also give us a sense of where the European Commission is on these important issues. And then we have Pascal Corre from Caisse de Depot who will give us a more market-oriented perspective of maybe how some of these issues play out in, uh, in practice. So that's where we are today. There will be questions at the end. If you have quick questions during the course of the presentation that are short questions with clarifying answers, please feel free to ask them. If you have a comment or a more tangential question, please save it to the end. The, the discussion in the room is always one of the fun parts of these events, so do, do please take part. And with that in mind, I'll hand it over to Dirk. Thank you, Rebecca, for the introduction. I will stand up if that's all right, and I can see you a bit better. Uh, good to see that there are so many people uh, here today. And I have to say, this is really a topic where the, the sector is far, uh, far ahead of the uh, academia. And I'm also happy to say that policymaking is also ahead of academia, because uh, I think one year ago, the high-level expert group started. And uh, so lots ha is happening. Um, and, and that's why we wrote a textbook also to, to educate uh, the young generation that there's more in life in finance than only uh, profit maximizing because that are the current textbooks in finance. And it's not a joke, that's a reality. So, uh, what do we do in this uh, book um, and in the presentation? First of all, it is really important uh, that we cross bridges. Uh, whether we are economics or business or finance, we really need to know what sustainability is about. Um, uh, and then the second part is it is not about the financial sector itself, but it's about where they invest in, where they lend to. So it is about the real world of companies, governments, where they lend to. Are they sustainable or not? And what can financial institutions uh, do about it? And that's happy that also bankers uh, in the panel to, to uh, how they direct their clients to that field. And then finally, we talk uh, about the role of the financial sector and how the financial sector can transition itself to this new world. And if you come home tonight and you are asked uh, by a partner or whoever, what did you do today? Uh, there is one key message from the from the from the book is. We have to move from F, this, the maximizing the profit financial side, to looking, optimizing the integrated value, which is a combination of financial, social, and environmental value. That's the big challenge, and that's the journey I would like to take you on uh, this afternoon. Okay. Uh, my favorite is always uh, physics. I almost did physics, but I ended up uh, doing economics. But uh, we, we need a hard science. And I show you this picture. Uh, Stockholm uh, Resilience Center is doing a lot of work on this. 
nine planetary boundaries. And I'm not going to discuss them in detail, but just to show to you that climate is only one of them. And there are other issues, biodiversity, land system change, uh, what's happening in the oceans, fresh water is getting uh, scarce, uh, what's happening with uh, biochemical flows, that's basically fertilizer used in agriculture. So there are more issues around on the environmental side. And uh, in the financial sector, we look at risk. The precautionary principle of environmentalist is if you go from green to yellow, then we have already uh, passed the planetary boundary. Then we should already take care because we, we cannot uh, redo it if things go in the red zone. Then we are too late. And just to show you, uh, these are the annual um, uh, uh, emissions on a global scale. And the middle one is the policies. And the below one is what we should do if we want to go to two or one and a half degree. So in other words, we are still far away of getting to the target, even with all the current pledges. And my main message to you is, the later we start to go to the lower one, the bigger the step we have to make. This is some kind of budget. So if you start early, you can do it a soft landing. If you do it late, you need a hard landing. Uh, you know it from currency crisis, this is the same. And we are heading for the late one. So that means that maybe in five or 10 years times, we don't get carbon taxes of 20 or 25 euros, but of 100 euros. And what happens then to your assets? That's the way of thinking about the issues. The longer you wait, the more you have to do. In addition, it is not only about environmental issues, it's also about social issues. Uh, some of you may remember the Millennium Development Calls, where many of these were addressed. Poverty, hunger, access to healthcare, education. They're equally important uh, in, in the whole sustainability debate. Uh, Kate Rayward has been quite active on this, and I will show you in a minute how to make it operational, because this is a nice list, what to do about it. So these planetary boundaries and these social foundations are really the, 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 back, uh, the bedrock of the sustainable development goals, which you probably all have heard of, the 17 goals. I won't uh, mention them one by one. So they are really based on environmental and social uh, science. But then the question is, what can the financial sector do about this? Uh, how can they add to it? And just to, to, to give you an example, an idea. Uh, so one of the SDGs is decent work and income, which we can call a living wage. That means a wage which is adjusted to the country where you live. So the, the living wage is higher here in Belgium or in Europe than it would be in, uh, in, in Bangladesh or Vietnam. So it's the living wage adjusted to the country. And if only uh, companies would adhere to the living wage and say, in our value chain, wherever my uh, garment, my clothes are made, I pay the living wage. Then, if they will do that, so they will just uh, have that as a policy, then a lot of other things can happen. Because if they pay a living wage, uh, the person can then, with a living wage, support its family, his or her family. So that means... Uh, uh, no poverty, no hunger, but also uh, access to healthcare because they can pay for it. 
most importantly, uh, you don't need uh, child labor for your children anymore uh, because you earn enough for the family so your, your children can go to school. So by just paying a living wage in your value chain, a company can contribute to four SDGs. And that's the way we can make uh, sustainability operational. The next thing is, this is called the wedding cake. Uh, I reorganized the SDGs. And uh, uh, you don't have to be into, into construction to know that the foundation is always the most important. Um, and when we had this picture at the first time, uh, I'm also at the Rotterdam School of Management, then our dean said, yeah, yeah, we are at the business school, so we are at the economy and the rest is for the others. But um, that was when we were starting the journey, our own journey, but it's quite clear that if we want to make work of, of it, that we need to look at all three levels and that the bottom one uh, is the most important. We need uh, a livable planet for societies and uh, thriving societies uh, need an economic system to organize production and consumption, but it's not the other way around. So uh, GDP, profit making is often taken as the ultimate goal, but if you leave the other two out, uh, you may find out that your uh, foundation uh, is, is lacking and that you're falling away. Um, I've translated this to uh, simple factors. And this picture, picture is made by my daughter. Uh, so finance, social, society and environment. So these three factors I'm going to play around with. So, this is really uh, one of the key slides. If you would ask an economist, how many economists do we have in the room? I'm also one. And how many lawyers? Um, and uh, how many from uh, science? With a few. And uh, from social sciences? Well, and quite a few other people. So really the first group. And we all have our own training. And I think whether it is sustainable finance or whether we talk about uh, sustainability in any other field, it's about crossing bridges. And let's start with this bridge. If we ask an econ economist, well, it's a public good, huh? clean air. It's not price, so sorry, guys, we cannot do anything about it. Maybe if you're lucky, the government has a carbon tax or an ETS price, which is high enough. But if not, then we are sorry. When I present this to... Uh, Economists, they really believe that private finance cannot add anything. Uh, it's all about uh, the government, and if the government is doing nothing, then we are doomed. So that's the economist. If we would ask a human rights advocate in his, first, in his or her first year of training, she will be thought that, of course, uh, life's essentials are really crucial and are, uh, yeah, are an irrevocable right of, for every person. There's no way around it. Finally, if we go to the, the, the hard science, the ecologists, yeah, uh, I was in a presentation and she said, I cannot understand that economists call this externalities external. Well, this is the, the, the foundation. If we don't have the nature in, in, uh, in order, uh, we cannot live. So how can we call that uh, an externality? So uh, this, it's quite clear we need to live within these planetary boundaries. I just 
show you these three perspectives, which are not complementary, but are really different. And you need to cross to the other two, from whichever one you are coming, to really understand the issue. If you don't do it, so if you are doing ESG investing, but still you're looking for maximizing profits, and that's it, not much will happen. So you really need to accept that you need to integrate the three elements. And that's what I call sustainable development. So yes, uh, the ecologist also needs to accept that if we do investment in nature, we need to return to, to make sure that the investment can be renewed. Uh, and, and also, so we need all three uh, to make it happen. Then what to do? So now we go back to finance after this uh, little introduction, and I'm already halfway my time. Uh, what can we do? The, the old model uh, is the shareholder model. We just maximize uh, finance, and we can refine it a little bit so we, we don't do cluster bombs anymore or tobacco, but otherwise um, uh, we do the same. So that I call it refined shareholder model. A completely different perspective, which we know in continental Europe as the Rhineland model, uh, the stakeholder model, is that we look at other stakeholders, including society and environment uh, as well. That's number two. And number three are the leaders, but it's a small fraction. That are the impact investors. They look at impact first, normally check in the second round whether the, uh, the financial uh, soundness of the business proposal is okay. But the first round to check on impact. They're leading the way, but my claim would be in number two, we can, that's where progress can be made if we move from one to two. And just to show you, um, if we look at, for example, um, just tobacco, uh, which is easy to understand. If we look at the full picture, the integrated picture with all three elements, they make a lot of profit, tobacco companies. Employment on the plus, but we all know premature death, extra cost of healthcare. And if we sum them up, you don't have to be a genius to know that a net return for society is negative. But our financial system only notice uh, the profit. So investing in tobacco is very profitable, so it's very difficult to go out because you would forego profit for your pensioners. And that's the struggle uh, we are dealing with. But why would we integrate uh, sustainability? I put four reasons down. The first one is anticipation of regulation and taxation. This morning it was announced that the committee in the UK said we want to be carbon neutral by 2050. And then you, you know uh, they have already carbon tax, they will increase it to get there. So it is going to come, like UK is a front leader, France is quite ahead, Sweden and the Scandinavians were really ahead of the game. I'm behind an initiative of economists in the Netherlands also to go for a carbon tax, so we are on the border of doing it. It is still not clear, but it's going to happen. Uh, so you want to be ahead of the game. The next thing is uh, reputation. Your customers are asking for it. My favorite one is uh, just a business case. If you believe that there's a positive probability that 
some of the SDG agenda will be achieved in one way or another. That means we don't have business as usual. And it means if we don't have business as usual, if you are investing and lending in business as usual companies, they may miss the future, like Kodak on, on digital, uh, for, or IBM on, on, on the personal computers. So the, the world, the companies are faster than academia or the financials. They are moving towards uh, SDGs. So there's also a business case for moving along and even be a front runner. If you are the first one with renewable uh, technology, then that can be an export product. Uh, and the final one is, uh, that's for everybody personal, uh, there's also of course a moral responsibility. Uh, so how to do it uh, in the last few minutes. Um, This is all about the long term. Sustainability is not about the quick wins. So you flip in and you flip out. So it's really about uh, you believe in a company and then you stick with it unless new information on the long term strategy arrives. You don't look at daily noise. So you really need to know the business model. How is this company prepared for the transition? Not where they are today, because almost nobody is fully prepared, but what? Are they aware of the issues? Are they preparing themselves for a transition? Are they early in the game or late in the game? So we want to know, uncover the social and environmental uh, value of companies. And that means you really need to dig into the company and a rating, like a credit rating didn't surface uh, the AAA uh, before we went to the financial crisis. And the ESG rating does not surface to know what is going on. You need to do your homework. That's my main message. If you really want to know how well the company is prepared for the future. Uh, and then the next thing is, at school, uh, we learn the students uh, diversification. And you may remember that portfolio theory of Markowitz. You need to invest in the whole market. They are extremely well diversified. Well, in reality, with 50 or 100 shares in really different sectors, you're already quite well diversified. And the additional benefits of lower uh, risk, lower variance, is almost zero if you go beyond 100. So in reality, you could run a concentrated portfolio of 100 shares uh, and do real engagement with your companies. Alecta in Sweden, a pension fund, is doing that already for years. And the example is explained in detail in the book. So it is possible, but our old theories of efficient markets and portfolio theory are holding us back. And then I call it the virtuous cycle. Uh, so you do your fundamental analysis, what's in, what's out. Then you have a concentrated portfolio and importantly, you have a dialogue with the companies. Uh, you ask them questions, uh, you steer them towards more sustainability. They tell you what they are doing, so it is really a dialogue. And in that way, you can uh, reinforce each other. I have no time to do banking as well, but it is exactly the same and I'm happy that later on in the panel uh, uh, banking will be covered. 
And I just put down a few examples. Westpac and Rabobank have policies. ING and some other leading banks in Europe are working on, uh, on uh, transition technology. So is the technology of the client in line with where the sector is going or are they behind or ahead? And, and the main message is uh, environmental and social issues are really influencing creditworthiness. And I can have the same slide for government bonds. Uh, but we have no time for it. So it really affects all asset classes. Also, if you look at commodities, hedge funds, private equity, whatever you have in your portfolio, you can check the sustainability of the underlying asset class. Uh, so finishing off, it is really about uh, moving from the F dimension, as I call it. Uh, it also reminds me of in, in football, we have always the F side that are the supporters. <laughs> So I hope for them tonight uh, that they do well. But uh, otherwise, in football, we have to move really to integrated value uh, and, and look beyond that. And that's the, the, the sums, the calculations are easy to make afterwards. It is really first about mindset. Are you open to look at these other issues? And then the news is finance is about anticipating a really... To give you an example how far you can look at, it is not only about the big oil companies. So on transport, yeah, there's a big user of, of uh, energy. So we are going to electric cars, we are going to car sharing. If you have car sharing, you need only one car for nine people if you do that smart. That means that the, the parking lots which are built in cities become a stranded asset in five or ten years' time. So that's the way to look at your, uh, so the electric uh, car makers, they are in the plus, and these car parks are in the min. So that's the way you have to think about the transition. And that means whatever sector you're covering or you're working in, you have to try to think about what could happen in this transition and, and prepare yourself. And that's exactly what finance could be very strong in. Thank you. Thank you so much. Pretty great overview of the book. Again, the book. <laughs> Order it for all of your economics classes coming up. Mario, what do you think? Thank you very much. Um, and good morning or good afternoon, everybody. I have two tasks, I understand. One is to tell you what and why we are doing what we are doing at the Commission. Mm -hmm. And to link it to the to the book, which came afterwards, of course, but I think it helps anyhow. So I think you should you should buy anyhow. First of all, before coming while I arrived here, I was chit chatting outside with the several friends that are here. Best conversation was with a good friend who told me, you know, I was here yesterday for Brexit. It was empty. Today for sustainable finance is full. I said, obvious. It's exactly. It's exactly right. That's the future. I mean, sustainable finance is the future. I make no comment on Brexit, but sustainable finance is absolutely the future. So you are completely right to be here in this room. Incidentally, I've been invited once or twice to this room, and uh, I don't remember that it was so full. So great. Uh, why I think is in the book, and you have already explained it, but the point I want to explain you is... Uh, uh, why private finance? Because that's the issue. I mean, sustainable finance is the marriage between two things that normally do not marry, do not even flirt. Yeah. And uh, why 
why now we are trying to marry them? I mean, the reason is actually quite simple. The fact that uh, for a, in order to respect the Paris Agreement, in order to respect the engagement and so on and on, it has been measured we need between 200 and 300 billion a year. So 200 and 300 billion a year, that means uh, of additional investment, that means a lot of money, and even worse, it means a lot of money now, because we have till 2030 in order to be able, and that was very clear in the, in the graphs of, uh, of Dirk, in order to be able to keep below, below the 1.5. After 2030, Serate. Uh, so we need lots of money, and we need them now. And this is not exactly public money. Public money are neither a lot, neither now. So uh, that's why uh, we are trying to do this flirt between uh, uh, private finance and, uh, and sustainable issues. Where I'm saying a slightly different thing from, uh, from Dirk is that Dirk explained you, if you want, uh, a, a sort of a rational world, where rational does not mean only economics, and that is extremely welcome. Rational looked uh, from different point of view, the scientist, the economist, the environmentalist, and so on and on. That is, uh, that is very good. But the work of Dirk, the book, uh, what I've read, at least the part I've read, is normative. It tells you as it should be. The fact is that we as policymakers, uh, like it or not, uh, often not like it, but still, we have to deal positively with people as they are. Now, I have been, uh, uh, I have been uh, uh, talking to bankers, apologies, Pascal, Elizabeth, and the others, for a number of years now, and two things I have understood. They make no charity, and they don't give a particular toss about uh, the I. Uh, that is in the book there. The only thing they care is the F, so or mostly the F. Now they are changing slightly. We have done a couple of directives, the non-financial regulation directive. We have done a couple of other things to try to move them a little bit. But in short, that is the starting point, at least. And then we hope that there is some behavioral economics and things will change. But if that is the case, if the way you get a banker, an investor, someone who has the 200, 300 billions a year is through showing them the color of money. That's the uh, way we need to, to talk to them because that is what they understood at the very, understand at the very beginning. And how do you get them, how do you get their money? How do you get them to invest on that? The argument we made is relatively simple, is uh, if this is not done. So if there, is, if there are not between 200 and 300 billion a year of additional investment on the SDGs, to cut a long story short, but let's say on the 17 SDGs, what happens is that there are big risks. And there you already start seeing the eye of the bankers blinking because what they understand is risks equal returns equal opportunities. We all know no risk, no return. Lots of risk, lots of returns, lots of opportunities. And then you start seeing things coming up. For example, one example, which I'll give you uh, very simply, is green mortgages. You walk in any bank, they offer you a green mortgages. They, have, they are all green, not the least. The fact is that if you do a green mortgage, the value of your house goes up, the loss given default goes down, your PD goes down because you pay less for heating, and you have more money to pay back your mortgage. So that's it, as simple as that. So what we had to look was simply to look at ways through which you create values, or given that we are in finance and 
finance is about anticipating events, you create expected values. And that's, I would say, is really the driving, uh, the driving intellectual force of the job that uh, the Commission, with the help of the high-level group, uh, has, uh, has proposed. Now, when we want to um, reorient behaviors, because basically here the objective is what? Is to reorient behaviors in order to reorient capital flows, right? We are trying to do uh, some public policy with the money of someone else, essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, if we had the money, it would be much easier. We don't have the money, so we have to do some sort of uh, decentralized, uh, decentralized demand policy, more or less. And we have to, to make sure that the others follow us and listen to us. The, so the, from the three, uh, the three typical patterns through which you can make that is, uh, one, uh, making things more transparent, increasing transparency, Disclosure, mm. for those of you like me who have followed Basel uh, and Basel rules for many years, this is called Pillar 3. So Pillar 3 clearly is something, as we all know, it works a lot when there is market pressure. So if you have market pressure, and here we have market pressure, you use Pillar 3, you use transparency, you use disclosure. The other thing you can do is one thing that uh, also Dirk showed, which is moving from short term to long term something that, thanks God, the European rules had already since 2012, 2013. We had a number of rules on deferred profits, deferred payments, deferred bonuses, and so on and on. And the third one is, of course, to impact on the uh, companies themselves, on the fact that they need to explain what they're doing, and if they're doing nothing, explain that they are doing nothing and hope in the market, uh, in market pressure. So basically, our strategy was... Um, uh, I repeat, given that we decided not to go for a constraining strategy, we, we decided, at least for now, not to go for a so-called pillar one strategy, so no green supporting factors, no brown supporting factors, and all of that. Then the strategy had to look at the investment from A to Z. So we had a regulation on disclosure and advice. That normally happens before you invest. You search for an advice. Then we have a regulation on taxonomy, which basically tells you these are the areas that do well to the environment. Then you may or may not invest, it doesn't matter. You need to disclose what you do, but you may do it or not do it, and there is no pillar one impact. And then we had the regulation on, on benchmarks. And now uh, the incredible thing happened. I mean, we had an action plan, March 2018. We put out the three regulations, May 2018. Many people said, well, the usual 18 months, 24 months for the commission, the parliament is off, goodbye, lost cause. No. I mean, March this year, two regulations out of three were in the pocket. With the usual drama, five o'clock in the morning, I'm sure there are here some, MEP, some uh, MEPs assistants that were with me, but okay, fine. Doesn't matter. We know ça fait partie du traitement. So, uh, but still, I mean, the crucial point is that in... Uh, Ten months, May 2018, March 2019, we brought home two regulations. In 25 years, I do not remember such a speed. Again, as there is market pressure, there is government pressure. I mean, it's very clear that the federal governments, and now I go to the one we didn't take home, okay? So I'm not trying to, 
to noyer le poisson. I mean, I know there is one which is taxonomy that is not yet home, and they get to that one. But the fact is that why MEPs, government, and everybody was particularly reasonable and allowed us to, to bring home two regulations in 10 months? I believe because they simply saw there are no choices. I mean, there is not always, not only the kids, uh, including my kids, that uh, stroll down uh, Rue de la Loire every single Thursday or Friday. There is not only Greta, but there are, for example, the towns. I mean, if everybody of you has an oldish car and frequents two or three towns, has noticed that, for example, I have an oldish car, I frequent three towns, Brussels, Milan, and Dusseldorf. I'm sure they don't even know the telephone number each other. And my oldish car is banned in the space of six months from the three towns. So it's very clear that without any coordination whatsoever, the towns responding to, let's say, popular or civic uh, or whatever other pressure, they do something that then forces uh, people to do it. So governments have probably understood, anticipated, and the same for MEPs, and we are there. Is missing an important thing, and I'm about to, to close, is missing an important thing, which is a taxonomy. Actually, it's not exactly missing. I mean, we got an agreement in Parliament, which is much better than nothing, believe me. So we have got an agreement in Parliament. Parliament uh, finished, as we know, at the end of last month. Uh, we are working with the, with the Romanian presidency. We, we hold hopes to have a general agreement in Council under the Romanian presidency. If not, we have the next presidency, which is the, the Finnish presidency, which is very interested to the dossier. And we really hope that the general approach in Council and the trilogues and therefore the successful conclusion of the, of the regulations will, uh, uh, will come about. So basically, uh, what we have noticed is that uh, in 10 months, uh, we have uh, two bits of the, of, the main, uh, of the main action plan. And the third and most important bits, we have, I think, very, uh, very reasonable hopes to have it in, uh, in 15, 16 months, which in European terms is, quite, uh, is quite, uh, quite a lot to say, because normally this does not happen. It takes much, much longer. Conclusion. I think this is a subject which has a, a lots of support from all sides. And this is very different from other subjects. There are other subjects which are much more controversial, where uh, uh, people tend to go in different direction, where the interests are very different, and so on and on. Probably the I, which I take from the book, is that the integrated means that everybody deep of his heart knows that uh, this is a subject that will, uh, that will impact uh, to, to us one way or another, and therefore, there is support from the civic level, the towns, the, the MEPs, the government, and so on and on. Why should you buy the book? Because I need to say it. Why should you buy the book? One, because it fills a vacuum in the sense that I think it puts together lots of uh, ideas and things that you may have heard, hinted, or intuited here and there, but you haven't seen them in such an analytic and a structured way. And I think the uh, the, the added value of the book is really the structure, which is uh, extremely well done with the tree, with the with the wedding cake, and so on and on. And two, and this was a great lesson to me, because uh, uh, is a book is a is a teaching book which does not equate for once rationality with profit maximization, and that's a main progress. Thanks a lot.
Thank you so much for that. Great summary of the book. Um, I have to say, when I looked at the slides for the first time, I thought they were donuts, not a cake. So that tells you where my mind is going in terms of dessert. Uh, Pascal? Um, two, two questions, why and, and how? Why should I, I think it's, it's simple. Uh, the, the, the usual answer of an asset, an asset manager of a, a bad guy, I would not. I'm not a bad guy. I've been. I work with Casa Depot, which is a long-term investor, and we try and be uh, as, as responsible as sustainable as we can. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the usual answer of of an asset manager when he, when you ask him what, what you're doing, he's saying, "I'm maximizing profit. I'm maximizing." The, uh, for instance, as a um, pension fund, I maximize, uh, make sure that the, my, my customers uh, can pay their rents and, and their, their pensions. Um, that's the usual uh, financial answer. The sustainable finance uh, answers, okay, well, I'm going to make sure that the pensioners can have their money, but I'm going to also make sure that the, uh, their, their children have a job and that their grandchildren can play outside uh, in the schoolyard, even on polluted day, uh, in, in polluted days, instead of, you know, peace kept inside as, as they are sometimes in Paris when, when there's pollution. So that's, that's why. Um, the question is how? Uh, in the book there are many, uh, many answers and, 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 and uh, the big one, I think, is to, uh, <clears throat> you, you alluded to it, uh, is to rethink the, uh, the, the, the macroeconomic theory. We are not, all of us, we are not profit maximizers. We, are we, we have another utility, utility function. We are not homo economicus or, 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 or personal economica. Um, I've never met any uh, homo economicus. Thank God they don't exist. Um, but uh, the entire um, classical uh, economic theory is based on this uh, utility function. It's quite helpful. It's quite easy to into models. You mentioned the Cobb-Douglas uh, production fund. Is dead. Um, market, market efficiency, uh, another big dogma, I would say, uh, or myth. Uh, it's not working. Uh, but we should know uh, after the great financial crisis 2008, 2008, it doesn't work. Markets are not efficient. Uh, what else has to be uh, rethought? Um, portfolio theory, Markowitz. Um, Obviously, uh, based on my, if the first assumptions are wrong, the, the, my, my, the, the, that portfolio theory that derives from those uh, basic assumptions. I'm uh, still teaching it. That's <laughs> made, that, that's, I've been taught that uh, 30 years ago, but apparently yeah. it's it. Yeah. So that, that's, this, 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 should be, this should be given free in all business schools. Um, <clears throat> and uh, but it, but everything derives from that. And we have to think uh, growth uh, in, in another way. Uh, and there, there are some uh, there are some schools already working on that on endogenous uh, growth, uh, but it's, it's, it's a long way. Um, but the framework has to be changed. In the meantime, it's going to take time. In the meantime, what can what can we do uh, in terms of sustainable finance? Um, first, uh, we have to convince people that. Uh, all the, all the hypothesis uh, the work is, is based on it is, is wrong, but um, this room is full. Uh, imagine if we were in Washington, D.C., or 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and the White House. 
I'm not sure that if we, we, I'm not even sure we could have this meeting. Uh, so there, there are some deniers uh, around, and I'd, well, depends well for what reasons. There are some profit maximizers around the world, but well. Um, but for the others, the, the skeptics one, um, I would say uh, taking account these uh, sustain, sustain, uh, sustainable finance items uh, is about risk mitigation. Uh, authors, I learned, uh, uh, not only environment, environmental risks, uh, but social risks. Think yellow vests in, in France. Big demonstration, biggest demonstration in France in 20 years, maybe. Uh, why? Well, the carbon tax uh, was the trigger, but uh, the, the, the root for that was the, the, the perceived increase in inequalities in France, and people reacted to that. So social risk is, is, an, is an issue, and it's it's, not, it's, an, it's, an, it's an issue also for uh, governments, for government debt. Uh, the first government, uh, government's answer uh, in, in Paris to the Yellow Vest demonstration was to spend 10 billion euros uh, end of December, and then they added another five uh, recently. Uh, that's pure budget expenditure. Budget deficit is on the rise. When um, the President Macron announced the first 10 billion, the, uh, the OAT is the, the French debt uh, so its premium against boons increased by 10 basis points. 10 billion, 10 basis points. Easy. Uh, so it has an impact immediately. Uh, and that's social risk. Uh, and governments, go, 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 the governments risk, well, you think, I don't know, Dieselgate, uh, Volkswagen. Uh, it, it, so so there are many risks that uh, can be mitigated if you take well, it's the, the, the usual ESG factors into account. Uh, and that's even if you are risk uh, uh, profit maximizer, you have to take that into account. Um, those risks are material. Uh, the thing is, you don't know when they are going to, to materialize, but still, uh, it can be any time. So even if you're thinking short term, you have to take them into account. And, uh, and with this, with, the, the, with those ideas, credit rating agencies uh, are, are improving the way they take those ESG factors into account. Three or four years ago, when we were discussing with them, with the UNPRI, they were like, well, no, uh, we don't take that too much into account, it doesn't really matter, and they, they, in, within four years, they make huge progress. In terms of uh, their methodology or, and the way they, they tell to their customers how they integrate those, those factors. So it's, it's quite an uh, quite interesting uh, development, I would say. Then. Uh, if uh, it's just, all this is not enough, uh, you can you cannot really force people to uh, change their, 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 their mental framework, but you can incentivize them. And uh, it's been mentioned already a few a couple of times, but this disclosure is key. Telling uh, or asking companies, but only companies, portfolio managers, to 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 say uh, what's in their books or what's in their uh, in their company on on those risks, um, CO2 emissions, uh, social issues, um, exposure to risk like water scarcity. Uh, that, that's a major thing. And just by asking them to tell everybody what they're doing, 
uh, it, it, it will be quite efficient because they will compare, obviously, what's, what their neighbors, what their competitors are doing. <clears throat> and over time, uh, we will see what, uh, what, who's making progress and who's not doing progress. And that's quite efficient way to, uh, to, to achieve those, uh, that an evolution. Um, but uh, but that's, that's mostly uh, within uh, the, uh, the, 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 the corporates, the, the, the firms. Um, and they will, they will need to provide in infos, data that are still not available. That, that's, that's a major issue. Um, in terms of integrated value, I've got a few questions because we have to put a value on those, those items. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not easy. Um, but still, on some, on, on some elements it's, it's possible, uh, but the data are not always available. And the, the question is, who has to provide those data? There are, there are many uh, private sector independent data providers on CO2 emissions, on that kind of, that kind of issues. We've had problems with those, those data. We, the other day, we almost sold bonds from, uh, from, an utility, from a utility that had reached uh, uh, a certain level on their uh, thermic cold exposure. And uh, we almost sold the bond uh, because it was, we, we, we were reaching the, the threshold where we think it's, uh, we, we shouldn't hold that, that kind of uh, cold exposure. But the portfolio manager said, something's wrong with the development, I'm going to call the company. And the company said, oh, yes, this is, this is wrong. This, the, 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 the data provided by uh, XYZ uh, is just wrong. Um, so the, the, the reliability of data is, 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 is key. Whether, the question is whether those data should be provided by the private sector or by the companies themselves with an audit, uh, just like any uh, financial account. Financial accounts are reliable because they're audited. Uh, maybe external financial data could be uh, provided by the companies but also audited. That, that would be a great help from, for us. Uh, but yeah, disclosure, I mean, is, is, is quite, quite, quite efficient because otherwise, <clears throat> Portfolio managers, uh, if they are not convinced, uh, they will still, well, I know the story, uh, many of them still think that their job is to provide, create, to provide value by beating their benchmark. That's, that's a nightmare. <laughs> this is not how we work. Um, if you think Long, uh, if you think sustainability means long term, meaning long, in long term you have to know what you're doing, you, know, you have to know what you're buying, you have to do your homework. I totally agree on that, but it's time consuming. Uh, but at least you, uh, you know the risk you're you are, you are doing. And it, it, responsible investment means also that you have, you, you are, in that case, you are responsible for the, your, your choices. You're not, you don't buy a benchmark. Being a benchmark, well, you, okay, you, or you've got to decide whether you have, you have to be uh, overweight that sector or underweight that name. Uh, it's, it's not the same as, okay, I'm going to go along with this company and I'm going to skip that one, or company or country. Um, and, uh, and tell you what, uh, in our large cap um, equity portfolio, we have something like 130 names. In the corporate uh, bonds, it's around 120. Um, and on, on, the, uh, on, on the government, on the sovereign side, it's even less than that. Uh, our non-European core portfolio is less than 20 names. But it, 
takes time. Uh, we are not traders. When we buy a company, uh, it, we, we keep the equity for five, six, seven years, not months, years. Uh, and the bonds we are holding, 90%, 95% of them, we, we are holding till maturity. Uh, but it takes, well, it, you have to be careful and you don't trade every day. Uh, but uh, but as, even as a portfolio manager, it's more, much more satisfactory that taking long-term taking long-term bets uh, to show to, to see that at the end it, it, it pays. Actually, it pays. But um, one last word. Um, uh, the thing is, working that that that, that way, uh, your boss or your competitors uh, will will compare your performance to the others, and uh, so. The easiest way is the benchmark, but well, let's forget that. Uh, so the, the two, two measures are possible, a peer group, that's it's in the book. It's difficult, but it's, it's, it's workable, it's another type of disclosure. And, and, and otherwise, it's, I would say, uh, the, the, the solution I would advocate for is absolute return. Um, because give me an absolute return target, and I'll tell you what kind of risk level I have to take to reach it. Uh, if it's too low, it's going to be too easy. If it's too high, I'm going to tell well, I'm going to go uh, high yield. I'm going to go, uh, uh, I don't know, buy frontier markets. Uh, and you're going to say no. And then you, you will reach a, a, an equilibrium between what's, uh, what kind of risk is, a, is acceptable and what kind of return is needed. And maybe we'll see in that case that the, uh, the needed uh, risk and, and or the accepted risk and the, 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 the yield uh, and the return that is uh, achievable is much lower than you know the 10 percent ARE uh, that some, some people are asking for and in that case that certainly would be more sustainable if everybody is expecting a return on investment that is much closer to what the economy can provide Dick, would you like to respond to some of those thoughts and comments on the realities of this? Yeah. Um, uh, thanks, both of you, for the perspectives. And uh, let me start with the last one, because that's exactly what it's about. It's about the real economy. <coughs> How they move from today, linear, non-inclusive, to an inclusive, circular, uh, sustainable economy. That's a trick. And at the macro level, exactly as you said, uh, we had the Stiglitz report. We have to think beyond GDP, but the other factors. That's the, uh, the big element. And then the question how to do it. Uh, how can the private sector do it? Uh, in chapter eight is the equity chapter. Um, and in the end, it's about companies. We have a list of 26 questions. That sounds a lot, but it is not. Students are doing it as an exam. If you answer these 26 questions, you have done your fundamental analysis of your company. So, the, the, so don't focus on the large number, 26, but it is doable, uh, this fundamental analysis. And you're doing it with slightly over 100 names. Elect is doing it. So I expect that for the deep sustainable investing, this is, uh, we see more of these concentrated portfolios. But the main message, it is doable. Um, and, and going back to uh, Mario, uh, Thanks also for your great comments. And yes, it is all about reorienting behavior. That's the big uh, challenge. Uh, and then we have to leave some old theories and some new theories. And 
Uh, and indeed, transparency can uh, help a lot. In the French law, we already have this article for companies and asset managers. We're getting more of that now at the, at the European level, the task force of Bloomberg. So if it is clear uh, what, what, what the issues are, and then we have to move beyond climate. So water scarcity is meant, uh, had IUP paying living wage in your value chain, that kind of issues. Then, uh, then we can really move, uh, move uh, on, on the ground. And a final word, uh, two Americans, but coming from the UK, they've really, because uh, the word stakeholder does not exist in, in the US. Uh, so they call it still uh, not shareholder value, but shareholder welfare, what we would call a stakeholder model. And that is Oliver Hart and Luigi Singales. And they say shareholders are also human beings. And they say, they call, they, they, they call it pro-social uh, shareholders. And that's a driving force in their model. And that's one really a refreshing way of looking at it. And I think both of you said the same. That's one way of looking at it that at some point we can start to think beyond the F. Um. What a great way to smoke the discussion so far. Uh, before we move to the audience Q&A, and please be thinking of your questions, please take this time to reflect on how to make your questions short and question-shaped. That usually leads to better answers. Um, but I'm going to throw out the first one, which is whenever sustainable finances come up at events that I've been with, there are, are usually three things that come up every time. One is scale. How can you do enough of this to make a difference? The next thing is definitions. And this comes back to the taxonomy issue. What is a, a sustainable financial investment and how broadly can you define that? I had one portfolio manager say, well, we invest in government bonds and governments are made of people, so therefore it's all social. Uh, and then the third question comes back to this issue of the financial side. And the question there is, should we, can we expect this to be profitable or should we resign ourselves to its unprofitability and try and offset that with tax and subsidies? Certainly in the US where a lot of pension investment is privatized, I've heard over and over again, anecdotally from friends, yeah, you know, I really believe in the environment, so I invested in some sustainable finance mutual funds, and wow, I got hosed compared to the index, so I, I eventually had to give up. I couldn't, couldn't bet the farm on that. So how would you respond to those themes? I'm sure you've gotten those questions before. On the, on the scale, um, I call it tiptoeing. So the pension funds, if you have 400 billion, you put five or 10, if you are courageous, you put 10% towards SDGs or whatever you call it. And I think we are beyond that. We should go with the full portfolio. And I have the feeling that Pascal is already doing it. Alecta, for example, is doing it. So this tiptoeing is, is not the way to go. And, and as I said, all asset classes, so government bonds, not uh, as you said, the shortcut, but the real one is, for example, Robeco Sum, they are, have sustainability ratings, which are correlated with credit rating, but still different. And guess what? Uh, the Scandinavians are top of the list, uh, not only on credit, but also on sustainability issues, social and environmental. So you could look at governments also on the sustainability lens, and if you think about it, if you have solved your pension problems, you have equality in your country, you've solved your energy infrastructure like Sweden, then there are less government uh, expenditures in the future because you've solved already quite a few of them. So in that sense, it, it contributes, again, coming back to the financial issue, 
to your future budget uh, surplus in, in Sweden. So, so the scaling up means all asset classes and not tiptoeing anymore, but uh, summer is coming, uh, take the dive, uh, get wet, get wet. Uh, and then sometimes it is unpleasant. And, and that discussion is very difficult, Rebecca. Um, for example, uh, Matt Anderson with Patrick Bolton and Samama, they've made this portfolio and, and tracker on, on carbon, but with less carbon in the portfolio, but a small tracking error that happens to be in the plus at the moment, but it could be in the mine as well. So the, the key thing is, if you're not prepared to let the market index go, then we will never win the game. Because then we are in the old thinking, we are in the portfolio thinking, because no market index will pay your pension. Only investments in the real economy will pay your pension. So if we don't dare to let this market index get out of our mind, we will never get there. Because today you can be minus, tomorrow you can be plus. So you, you make a game, there is no reason to win it. You mentioned absolute return, that's what counts. So if we are not able to go outside this benchmark thinking, you're not making progress. So that's old habits, uh, let go. And on the taxonomy, uh, it is helpful to get rid of uh, a lot of greenwashing. But as I said, sustainability about transition to the new world is a forward-looking concept. And it's very difficult to catch into definitions. So it is a flexible, dynamic concept. So I, what I hope is that uh, if the taxonomy gets there, that is used in a flexible way rather than in a static way, uh, stifling innovation. But if you look at it as a flexible, dynamic field, then, then uh, we can make progress. In that, in that, in that, that, that is perspective, the, uh, the 17 uh, sustainable development goals are, are quite helpful. Uh, if you, if you want to define a strategy, a uh, sustainable investment strategy is quite helpful because you have to, have to you, you can choose to put your focus on a given or, or a set of uh, objectives. Uh, and then, but it's tricky. It can be very tricky. For instance, um, do, I have, do I have to buy a green bond issued by Poland because it's green, or should I keep? Should I skip and avoid this bond because it's issued by Poland, which is, which has uh, some uh, Article Seven proceedings risks, carbon footprint versus justice. Yeah. You have to. It, it helps. Well, it helps you define what you really want to, where you want to put your, your money in. But yeah. it helps thinking. Yeah. Huge debates. <laughs> One thing on taxonomy, because one of the reasons why we haven't yet got uh, approved it are exactly the two issues that, uh, that Dirk mentioned. One is uh, flexibility and the other inclusiveness. Because on inclusiveness of taxonomy, there is the temptation to be purist than the purist, and so to have very little. Great, probably very clean and very green, but not helpful. And so you need to understand that these probably, uh, in a way, and I hope not to shock anybody, but our best friends in this moment are the biggest polluters, because it's them that we want to reduce. So it's them that we need to take them in and put them on a transition path. And the second point is exactly the transition path. We are not conceiving a taxonomy as a piece of law to which council and parliament are used, which is you do a piece of law and the end of the story. 
We are conceiving taxonomy as a series of delegated acts. Delegated acts means power to the commission, blah, 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 they like it less. But so it is. I mean, if you want to have something which evolves, uh, Dirk said evolves continuously, uh, that's what you need to have. You need to have something which is relatively flexible. I'm thrilled that we have a whole half an hour left for mm -hmm. Q&A. So I hope you've thought of some good questions. We'll take them in batches of a few at a time. Um, let's see. All right, we have um, back here in the pink shirt, yes, and then in the blue, and then over here in the corner, and then you'll be the first of the next round. Or maybe we can we can see, but let's start here. Hello, my name Please is... Please introduce yourself. Yes, thank you. It work? Yes, Stan Jordan, Money Europe, with an NGO working on, on sustainable finance and central banking. Um, talking about benchmark, because not only investors are just following the benchmark, central banks are doing that too. They just call it differently, they call it market neutrality. Uh, and I know you've done a paper on that, on the, the, on the corporate bond purchase of the ECB, so I'm a bit curious to know what, what you think about that. And, and also because there, there was a big report a few, I think, 10 days ago about, from the NGFS network. So also what's your take on this? And also I read an interesting paper recently on the bank, by the Bank of France showing that if you compare car loans with the interest rate on car loans versus um, energy efficiency for housing, housing like household housing, uh, you've got a three basis, three points higher interest rate, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. So basically, the market is, is saying it's fine to buy more cars, but it's not fine to, it's more risky somehow to renew your house to make it more energy efficient. So, I mean, is that really efficient? And, and what could yeah, maybe central banks should do something about this. You know, they're buying asset backs. Okay, thank you very much. I will rearrange the question asking a bit because we have three in this central section. So we'll give it to the guy here and then in the blue shirt and then you two over there I saw for the next round and we'll move the, the microphone over. So yes, thank you. It's Gabriele Salvo here. I have two issues. Uh, the first one is you rightly say that the, the way forward is to integrate the E, the S and the F. But the difficulty I foresee is, first of all, you need to evaluate. You need to put an a value in all these three types of capital. And this, as you know, it's a controversial issue. The second thing is that you need to make some trade-offs between, between the social, environmental, and financial uh, factors. So this is another uh, controversial issue. So how would you go to uh, tackle these two things? And the second issue I wanted to talk about is, I mean, I think that in order to really advance the sustainable finance, uh, in an efficient way, you really need to reform a classic economic theory. And I mean, you, you, you mentioned it during, during the presentation. You, you talked about portfolio theory that is still present. Uh, I mean, neoclassical economics is still mainstream. In your book, I'm really glad you mentioned a bit of ecological economics and the work of Eleanor, Eleanor Ostrom. So how can you, what do you think, how can we make this um, unorthodox uh, economic narratives, how can we bring them to the to the, into the mainstream. Thank you. Okay, and then two, two over. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jack Schickler from MLEX. Um, I have a question in particular for, for Mario, uh, because as Rebecca says, um, uh, once you get into the details, you get into issues like definitions and you get into very politically contentious issues, however great the consensus is over the principle. Um, so the parliament, for example, has um, attempted to uh, with, remove nuclear power from the scope of green, um, the green taxonomy. 
uh, by saying um, that any any process that has non-renewable waste products cannot be counted as green. Um, and this could have unintended consequences, as some people pointed out, because even a solar panel uh, has to be thrown away at some stage and may not be renewable. So you'd have excluded solar power from your green taxonomy. Um, are you are you worried that's a genuine problem, uh, and how would you avoid this and other unintended consequences of, of, of any kind of taxonomy? Thank you. We will bring that back to the panel and then move to the next questions. I'd also like to say this room is wonderfully about half and half men and women, but almost all the speaking is happening from men, except for me. Hi. So I would love for more voices to be heard. One thing that comes up over and over again in global sustainability debates is we're not hearing enough from voices outside the Western European white American male mainstream. So any of you who are other voices, please, please participate in the conversation. Think of things you want to say. It will, it will help the kind. Will help all of us. Yeah, on the on the central banking issue, uh, I, I did this paper on creating monetary policy. It's a bit uh, you probably know it's a bit tongue in cheek paper. You you write these papers and you know it's quite logical, but that people don't like it. And so you have uh, so you have one person, so you have a central banker. When he's putting on his dark hat of financial stability, it's looking very uh, serious, and tells all financial institutions you have to take care of environmental risk in your portfolio because it can go wrong. Please take care, otherwise we will come after you as supervisor, and we do a climate stress test. Then you turn around, you put your light hat on of uh, monetary policy, and then you have your portfolio and people ask you, maybe you can clean up a little bit your own portfolio. No, no, we do price stability. We are holy and, uh, the, the, and price stability should not be affected. And why are you asking me next time I have to do gender equality and tomorrow something else? Why are you asking me? Um, I find that a bit schizophrenic. Um, if you look a bit further back, and uh, I think um, Mario said that it's about behavioral change. Five or ten years ago, this was exactly the reaction of pension funds. I need a return for my beneficiaries. I cannot do this. Now pension funds are big time into sustainability. They are beyond it. So my expectation is that central banks will live up to this logic uh, in five or ten years' time. But it's very strange that uh, they're talking about it, but it is not uh, applying to themselves. And I couldn't detect any trade-off between priceability and environmental. Like, there is with unemployment, you, you, but on this side, there is no trade-off. But it's just, uh, I would say, the German word, angst. Yeah. Uh, so they are just afraid because it is not in their uh, book uh, back from university. It's not in the monetary textbook, so we cannot do it. Good thing we have a new textbook. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, and, 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 and then the, the, the deep question, and I leave to you the third question, uh, how to integrate it. You have to be prepared to do a little bit of monetarization uh, of the factors. But I always say, even if you put a value on nature, it doesn't mean it is for sale. Uh, so emissions, you can take 100 uh, euro, dollar uh, car, so you can... So I think there is coming more and more consensus on what is a good price for water, what is a good price for um, uh, carbon emissions. So the life sciences and so on, the data are becoming available. 
uh, and in that way we can uh, we can evaluate and then start to compare and I will put one restriction in and that's you cannot get worse uh, so even if it is profitable or environmentally nice to make a move but if it would be socially going back so you could you can put in in your uh, that you you don't uh, go lower on any of the aspects and then try to improve the whole lot and how to get more teaching um, I've been written uh, I've written a column for uh, Nick Robbins who's at the Grantham Institute and he still asked me, still, uh, Dirk, can you give me the perspective for teaching? I think in the next three years we should solve it. But to be honest, I don't know how, because I'm just doing it out of enthusiasm. So I get my colleagues in the finance department with me. I know some other people are also using it for courses, but I'm sure that 80% of economics and finance teaching is still uh, the homo economicus portfolio theory. How to get it quicker? Uh, and it is needed because it is a new generation of uh, asset managers and bankers. So you're right, how to speed it up. I hope we can make progress. Right. I mean, let me start with this one because I think, uh, I think there are ways to speed it up. One, for example, is that, as it was done, I give a Nobel Prize to an environmental economist yeah. three yeah. months ago. And that's yeah. Yeah. the greatest incentive for professors because yeah. they live on teaching, selling books and winning a Nobel Prize. So if you give that incentive, I think it's already a good one. The second, of course, markets move faster than academia. Yeah. But three years ago, to do this meeting would have been impossible. I mean, three years ago in markets, talk about sustainable finance, people would simply not be interested and they would ask about Basel IV capital requirements. So I think uh, the move from niche to mainstream, it happened very fast in markets, it may happen also quite fast in academia, at least I hope it happens fast in academia. Uh, before going to the question of the colleague of MLEX, on the N NGFS, because I happen to, to be, uh, the commission is invited ad hoc to those, uh, those networks. I think there is, an interesting, uh, there is an interesting convergence that is happening. There is this net, the NGFS is the network for greening the financial system, which is uh, um, chaired by the, uh, the Netherlands Bank, and the Secretariat is by the Banque de France. And the network is very mondial. All the five continents are represented. Uh, a country you name it, a country you do not name it, is not there. The country you name it is there. And uh, uh, all the other countries that you name it is there. And uh, uh, what they do is uh, basically to figure out uh, principles. I think I'm slightly more positive than you to bridge exactly the two souls, to bridge exactly the financial stability souls and the price stability soul, which uh, any central banker has. And the, the report, which was issued two weeks ago in, uh, in Paris, I think is a, good, uh, is a good demonstration. Interestingly enough, they are not alone out in the cold, because there is the uh, network of the Ministry of Finance chaired by Finland and Chile, Another odd couple, like sustainable finance, but Finland and Chile chair a, a group of, uh, uh, of uh, Ministry of Finance in order to mainstream sustainability into public spending. I started by saying that public spending is not enough, so, but the little that it is, is good to mainstream it. And then, of course, there is our EU taxonomy, but it's not the only one in town. The Chinese are elaborating something of that kind, and so on and on. 
the MLX colleague, I think the question is very well posed, but you know, uh, negotiations are uh, uh, what the name says. I mean, you are there, you negotiate, you discuss, you convince one another. One thing I've understood uh, in, in 25 years of career is that once you have finished your negotiations, they all supported. So at present, as I said, the agreement we have in the in the in the parliament at present, uh, I cherish. I think is a good basis, and from there we move on. We had two questions. We had one back here in the back, and then one in the front row, and then maybe we'll we'll hear from some others. Anyone else with a question for this round? We're, we're going to start in the back. Okay. Well, yeah. Never mind. I'm always trying to come up with the efficient route. You, know? <laughs> you hear me? Yes. Thank you. So good afternoon, Tom Verheer, European Commission. Uh, colleague of Mario, I'm a male, I'm sorry, I'm born in Beirut and I lived in Africa, so maybe that helps. Uh, <laughs> no, it doesn't, but thank you anyway for your contribution. <laughs> a very quick comment, uh, apart from a big thank you um, for a great presentation and I'm convinced to buy the book, and uh, that's number one. Secondly, a comment, as Mario said, I think it's vital that not only we take home the two out of three pieces of legislation, but also on the taxonomy and we should be confident that will be happening uh, as soon as possible. Uh, the comment is that I, I see a lot of traction on environmental accounting, including the monetization part, which we see as a fundamental addition to the toolbox that might solve some of the issues you were raising, uh, Mr. Uh, Dr. Schumacher, and uh, also were raised by uh, the gentleman to the right. The question is, I was, I was very interested in when you were rejecting the portfolio theory, but I was a bit lost what was the alternative proposition you were bringing in. Would it be possible to quickly elaborate on that one? I will read your book, but thank you. <laughs> okay, and then um, the gentleman in the tie up here in the front row, please. Good afternoon, my name is uh, Sean Murray from EUK Consulting. My uh, question really is mainly for Mario, but I'd be interested in hearing the views of the panel, but um, it's to deal with really reorienting behaviours um, and transparency and taxation, uh, because of course if we're to achieve us, um, the SDGs, then governments need to have the tax income to be able to fund the healthcare, fund um, education um, that's so important to these things. Now there's significant public pressure, and I'm sure I don't need to tell you this Mario, about corporations paying their fair share of taxation um, and it be not just that they pay their fair share, they do it in the right place and that they be seen to be paying tax in the right, pla uh, in the right place. So my question really relates to, you, you listed a couple of significant achievements there with regulations. Mm -hmm. My question relates to the Directive on Public Country-by-Country uh, uh, -country Reporting, which I think you're uh, aware of. Now, there, of course, the European Parliament has been very uh, supportive of your measures. However, the Council seems to be slightly um, divided. And I was just wondering if you could perhaps um, give me your thoughts on where that proposal is going and what the prospects are. All right. And I am going to ask the third question, which is about a study that a friend of mine pointed out on Twitter yesterday, which I was really taken by from a, an outfit called London Reconnections, about which I know nothing. But their study, which had tons of data and footnotes in it, said that when looking at public transportation, the policy planners are not looking at the needs particularly of women. And this 
covers everything from public safety to what's considered essential transportation. Is it only to and from work or does it include caregiving? If caregiving, taking care of your kids, your old people, your other members of the community, if that's not essential, you're going to de design a very different looking public safety network. So I'd like to ask how those factors and the data we don't have are playing into what is truly sustainable, what is truly our planetary boundary, as, as Dirk said. So that's my question. Um, Mario, why don't you start, and then we'll give it to Pascal, and we will let Dirk sum up at the end. Okay, I leave Thomas to the other two, Dirk. Question of Sean. Um, let's distinguish the two things. I mean, Myself, I have done, myself and all the DG FISMA, we have done banking regulation for the last 30 years. We were used to slap uh, capital requirements on banks and asset managers and all the alike. I have tried to explain why here we are using a different strategy, at least for the time being, which is the strategy of reorienting capital flows, transparency, and so on and on. And the reason is very simple, is, uh, is because there is, uh, there is market pressure and there is an evidence of that. The second issue, which I think is uh, sacrosanct, but outside my, uh, my, my competence, is the one you are mentioning of uh, taxes, and in particular the country-by-country -country reporting. There, it's very difficult uh, for me to say anything different from what the Commission has put forward. The Parliament, as you said, has endorsed. The Council, in its own wiseness, uh, for the time being, is, uh, is not yet there. We'll see. I cannot say anything, uh, anything more, but I think the views of the Commission on these are quite, uh, uh, are quite clear, and they are in the proposal itself. So the proposal itself, I think, was, uh, was quite obvious. Rebecca, uh, on public transport and, and women, uh, I am a male, but I have three daughters and one woman wife. So I live at home with four, actually five, because I'm very often there's also my mother-in-law. So I live with five women at home. I try to take care of them as much as I can. And uh, um, I, I actually think that uh, uh, probably inserting this issue of gender balance in all things that we do is, uh, is essential. I tell you what I do very modestly at the Commission, and they all know it, my colleagues. Since 2011, when uh, I was appointed director to, and I have this incredible power to sign for coffees, rooms, translators, and so on and on, I refuse to do it unless there is a woman on each panel. Which we appreciate, because there is a difference between, I have met some women, and I know some in my private life, and I'm working in an integrated public square, so. So I always do it. I mean, I always <laughs> do it, and I must say, at the beginning, mm, and now it works fantastically well. I mean, now I don't even get a request unless, unless there is a balanced thing, so. But I agree with you, that's an issue to, to be solved. By the way, there is a study of Columbia University that's, that shows, is an econometric study, that shows that the best managers to, uh, to promote uh, women are not women, I'm afraid, but are men, father of daughters, because it's egoism. <laughs> I, I'm they sure think you... of their future. Well, I, haven't I, have this, two daughters. <laughs> I haven't done this study myself, but I think it's egoism, so that's what it does. I, I would just like to add to that, that when you have people who are in a minority class, asking them to be responsible for the rest of their minority class is generally not a winning solution. And also, you shouldn't have to have a daughter and a dependent to be interested in an equal society. This is a sustainable finance Absolutely. event. If there's any place where we can move beyond that, I think this is the one. <laughs> but
Pascal. Uh, maybe on portfolio theory. Good call. Um, one of the problems of the way everybody is doing Markovics, uh, it's supposedly, you supposedly take expected returns on different asset classes. Some people do that, or they are just taking past performances on indices. Although past performance is not uh, a forecast for coming performance, but this is what everybody is doing. Uh, so you have, you have to take benchmarks, indices, look at past performance, and try and project them. Results are poor, I would say. Uh, but this is every, every, what everybody is doing. Uh, next, uh, I would say expected returns based on what the experts are saying. Portfolio managers, they know best. Well, they know best. Um, well, they, they are the ones who have, who have maybe the less probability of error. Uh, so just take their, their views on their, on, their, on their asset classes instead of past performance of benchmarks. Now we'll take the one on accounting. Um, Accounting is extremely important because it fits in with transparency. And now, the more we can to come to standardized reporting rather than specialized, and there's a great movement that's called integrate reporting. I know that the IFRS board in, 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 in London is more conservative than conservative. So I encourage the commission to take the lead here because I think one of the great things is your regulation, the IAS regulation take the lead to promote integrate report because then we get social, human and natural capital into the balance sheet. If we train our people, the, the value of the company increases. If we are careful with emissions, it increases the natural capital of the company. So it pays off to, uh, to do. So integrate reporting is a great tool. I have a full chapter in the book on it. So uh, the more you can endorse it as commission, don't wait for, uh, for the IFRS because there it won't come from. Um, and, and secondly, um, I have the best discussions in class uh, with, with the mixed balance. And, and to be honest, um, the, 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 the sustainability agenda is really about environmental and social issues. And my colleague, um, uh, I run a platform, uh, she comes from ethics. She always reminds me to pay sufficient attention to the social issues, and they are important because we have seen in France, if we move ahead and we forget about uh, inequality, we don't make any progress. So, yes, we need uh, more voices to remind us that it is uh, the palette is uh, bigger than just a few data points. So, one, one, one word on on parity. Uh, <laughs> it's been it's been proven by by different studies, and I. I, I experience that myself within, with, with portfolio managers. Mm -hmm. Men are better at taking risks, women are better at managing risk and cutting positions. Best of both worlds. Maybe, can I say maybe one word on integrated yes. reporting and on the climate versus social? On integrated reporting, I think it's, it's, uh, it's probably the next frontier, but if I may, Let's remember how difficult it was in 2015 with a target date of 2018 
to have a very mild instrument like the non-financial reporting directive, which started as extremely flexible, yeah. which basically says, tell me what you do, yeah. Yeah. and uh, with an extremely restricted scope, which basically is the listed company, big, not even all the listed company, but the big listed company. So uh, now today, of course, because we have mainstreamed the sustainability, it seems to us uh, <coughs> that is very little, and I would even agree with you that with the eyes of today, that is very little, but let's remember how difficult it was in 2005. Second point on climate and social, I think that is very clear that we need to have an integrated uh, view for the simple reason that climate investment tend to be uh, socially divisive. I mean, are the rich who put the solar panel or buy the electric car? So not only they put the solar panel, but they even spend less in uh, they even spend less in heating, and so they have more disposable income. So we really need to make sure that the access to investment, because at the end of the day, that it is, is the access to investment is possible for different uh, social classes. I'm thrilled to report that we have five whole minutes left. We are such efficient discussers of things. So if we have a last question, we can take one. Otherwise, Dirk, what a wonderful opportunity for you to sum up your book once again and any takeaways you'd like us to have on the way home. Again, thank you all for coming to Bruegel. It's been a real honor to have you here. And this is the fine book that we are celebrating today. For the summing up, I think, um Big, big issue, I think, is what Mario said, changing behavior. Yes, the book is normative, so the book shows what you can do. But the key thing is, that's my own personal experience, you first need to see it. Uh, the, the, tonight is football, so let me finish with that. <laughs> Johan Cruijff always says, uh, he's in the Netherlands famous for his one-liners, uh, you only understand it once you see it. And, and, and I think that's why I put this equation on that, you, that we integrate financial, social, and environmental issues. Only when you are prepared to do that in your mindset, then everybody can do it in his own field, whether you're doing reporting or your accountant or uh, whatever you do in your daily life, you can apply it. Uh, and I think that's the big challenge, that we are, uh, that we are prepared to look beyond uh, the obvious. And I think Pascal is right in saying that we have it in ourselves, because with GDP we all know uh, that welfare is not only about how much money we earn, uh, but more. So once we become back home to our human logic, we could make a lot of uh, progress. And thanks for all coming. <laughs>